Well, I'm glad you're here at the beginning of this sermon series uh, entitled Dave, an Unlikely Hero, one of my favorite characters of the Bible, uh, second to Jesus. Uh, First and Second Samuel are, are a couple books that I've always been drawn to. Somebody told me this morning, ah, a series on Dave, that's a little narcissistic, isn't it? Uh, no, this is not a series about me, though um, David has always been uh, a man that, that I have been drawn to, one who, who we've, we've said his name many times in the last six weeks as, as we've gone through a series uh, on prayer. Uh, we see many times David, uh, we, we learn from King David, we learn from the shepherd boy David, how to pray, how to be honest with God, how to, how to be in relationship with God, and we're going to see that as we go through this six-week series. We're, we're going to learn about the life and character of King David. And, and he wasn't just any man. He is referred to as a man after God's own heart. Uh, David was a remarkable man. David was a man of many, many talents. He was a musician, for instance. Uh, he, his music, he was brought to play for King Saul when King Saul was, was messed up in his spirit and anxious. Uh, uh, he would call on David and David's music would calm his spirit. He was a warrior. Uh, David defeated Goliath. Well, actually, the power of God defeated De- Goliath. But, but David was the instrument in the hand, of, the willing instrument in the hand of God. And he, 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 he did this when the Philistines and the nation of Israel are at this big standoff. It, David probably wasn't even old enough to shave yet. And he is defeating a giant of a great uh, nation. He was a fierce competitor. We see that he fought wild animals as a young shepherd boy. He was a poet. He he wrote most of the Psalms, uh, and the Psalms that he wrote, they're moving, they're challenging. They they minister to our hearts, they challenge us, they help us to know what to say and how to communicate to God. He was a statesman. He brought Israel to an incredible era of their history. He returned them to a stage of faith and obedience. In fact, his time as king is often referred to in the nation of Israel as the golden era. And he was attractive, you know, like most Daves are. He he was great looking. (laughs) Dick Vandal says, no, no. People were drawn to King David like like a magnet. Uh, And David is the central character, uh, human character of the Old Testament. There are more chapters about or by David than any other man. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, has 16 chapters in the Old Testament. The prophet Elijah has 10. David, David has 66 chapters in the Old Testament. He is no doubt an important man in the history of the nation of Israel and the history of Christianity. 
the, Christi- the, the history of, of the life of Christ even. David, David is the last person, human being mentioned in all of the Bible. If you were to turn, you don't need to, it'll be up here, to Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. David was a central figure. The flag that flies over Israel has the star of David. There are many things that we can learn from not only the life and experiences of David, but also the relationship that David had with God. And we're going to learn a lot about David over the next six weeks. And I believe that God is also going to do a work in our hearts as he continued to do, though he called David a man after his own heart that wasn't conjured up by David himself. That was cultivated by God. And David was a willing participant, as we must be also. Now, of all the judges in the Old Testament, I want to start here. The last judge was a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of God. And if you read the book of 1 Samuel, the first half of the book is about Samuel. See, Samuel's mother was Hannah, and Hannah was barren. She had no children. And year after year after year, she went to the temple and she prayed that God would give her a child. And one time, she's there praying, and and she is just pouring out her heart before God. And the, the priest observes her prayer and, and thinks that she's drunk, actually. She is so beside herself in, in this, this need and this want to have a child that she is, is just laying it out there. And the priest says, may God bless you. May God grant you your request. And, and God did. Now, Samuel is the prophet who anoints the first human king of Israel. Now, this isn't what God wanted for his nation. God wanted to be the king of the nation of Israel. But they cried and they cried and they cried and they whined and they whined and they whined. And finally, God said, okay, I will give you a king. And the king that he gave them was King Saul. Saul was an incredible man. And his, his anointing was truly a miraculous event surrounded by prediction and fulfillment. He stood above all of Israel, it says, as it describes him. And he had no equal as a man. But in the midst of the 40 years that he was king, he forgot who the real king was. And he went his own way. He became corrupt, he became evil, and he forgot the power and the position and the purpose that he had was given to him by God. He gets lost. We, that happens to us. We get lost in life. And we forget or we rebel or we get selfish. We're going to learn through this series what, how God responds to that. So God has another man in mind, and well, actually, you know that that's David, and, and when God anoints David to be the next king of Israel, he is actually a young boy. 
He's a shepherd. In Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 13, if you would turn to 1 Samuel, we're going to we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16, but before that, in chapter 13, verse 14, it says this. But now, this is, this is the prophet Samuel speaking to Saul. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of the people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Time and time again, Saul failed to follow God's commands. And, and it's one thing to fail and not follow God's commands. Every human being on the planet does that many, many times. But, but Saul, in this process, was, was not just disobedient, but he excused his disobedience. He refused to repent and admit that he was wrong. And because of what Samuel says, God has appointed a new leader, one who does have the heart of God. So 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13, we begin this process. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? I mean, Samuel anointed him. He was there in the early years when Saul was an amazing king of Israel. And and he's sad, he's brokenhearted over this man who has lost his way and has led Israel into a place where they should not be. Fill your horn with oil, the Lord says to Samuel, and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. I mean, Samuel's saying, are you sure it's a good idea to anoint another king while there's still a king in the palace? Saul isn't going to look too kindly on this. And the Lord says, end of verse 2, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Remember, Samuel is the last judge. And the elders are wondering, did we do something wrong? Why are you here? You know, it's like when a police officer visits your house. Even if you've never done anything wrong, you get that sort of upset stomach feeling, right? When they're knocking on your door. You're thinking, what is this all about? I had a neighbor just a couple weeks ago, text me and say, hey, what was, uh, what was Indra doing at your house for such a long time today? Well, we were actually just chatting. If you've ever chatted with Indra, you know there's a lot to talk about. So, but, but even so, even though I know her and I know that I haven't done, there are times when she just pulls up. She came into my office one day this week and I'm like, oh, right? Sometimes it's, oh, what did I do? That's what these elders, that's what these elders are thinking. They haven't done anything wrong. Samuel puts their minds at ease. He says, yes, verse 5, I have come in peace. 
I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. I mean, he's looking at this probably strapping, strong, young firstborn who he thinks might be the one to lead the nation of Israel. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. It's almost like Jesse forgot that he had another son. He doesn't call him by name. Uh, David is an afterthought. He's the youngest, still tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Afterthought or not, in the minds of his father, God says, This is the one. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. You see, David's greatest characteristics were not what he could do or what he has done on the outside. They were what's inside. It wasn't his strength as a warrior or his competitor. It was his heart. David had a great heart, a heart that followed after God. Man, I want a heart like that. There's four things that made David's heart great. Four things. First of all, he had a heart that operated with reckless abandon. In Psalm 9-1, David says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. In Psalm 86-12, and many, many other psalms, David says, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. David was 100% a man of God. He was a servant in a culture where we're constantly today worried about what we look like or what people think we need. We need to give it up. We need to stop it. We need to not listen to what the world says that we need and what the world says, who the world says that we are or should be. We need to give that up and we need to seek after God. In fact, uh, just a couple days ago, I won't read it, I'll try to trance, um, try to summarize it in, in a devotion that my group is reading right now. Uh, it talked about how as men, our true, our true self can be 
hijacked by the culture and what the world says that we should be. And we've got to fight against that as men and not listen to the world because then we try to become something that we were never intended to be. No, we need to be transformed by God. We need to give him our heart, not the world. Shia LaBeouf, an actor, and I recognize that some of these are, these are old movies. Maybe some of you kids haven't even seen the Transformers series. Maybe you're better for that too, I don't know. Um, but he was the main... Uh, actor in the Transformers movies, and this is what he said. He said he was battling a few demons. In fact, he said every every actor and actress in Hollywood is, is battling demons. He says they're all in pain. It's a profession of bottom feeders and heartbroken people. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy, he added. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. If I knew it, I'd fill it and I'd be on my way. He's on the verge of knowing what will fill that hole right there in his statement. It's God. Someone close to Michael Jackson, known as the King of Pop, said that Michael was going to extremes to stay on top of the pop music heap and to fill a void that he had in his life. They said Michael was worried about losing his popularity and his relevance. Even when he was at a personal high, he was terrified of losing his edge. They said he felt very alone. How many of us feel the pressure because we're seeking after the world instead of God? We're seeking popularity instead of obedience. We're seeking fame and fortune instead of faithfulness. We're seeking to all get along, which we need to love, but we can't say, I'm not going to follow the Bible when it says this just so I can get along with someone. We can't throw out scripture just to be politically correct. We must be faithful to the word of God. And not seek popularity and fame. Second Samuel verse, uh, chapter 6 verses 20, 21, and 22. So David ends up marrying uh, King Saul's daughter, Michael. Or Michelle. I'm not sure how I'm, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Anyway, David was becoming popular, and he was on his way home from a battle, and, and they're, they're, they're yelling in the streets, praising him and his battle success. And this is what she says. She says, so she's observing him entering the city, walking up the streets. He was dancing, actually. Now, it, it says nothing about him doing this half-naked, so I don't know what she's talking about here. She's just trying to make him feel bad. But this is what she says. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to her, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. You see, David didn't care how it looked to other people. 
His heart was God's. He was worshiping God. He was dancing before him, not the people. You see, he operated with reckless abandon. We can learn something from him. Just before World War I, a young man arrived in Cairo, Egypt. He was 25 years old. He was a graduate of Yale University and Princeton Seminary, back when those were religious schools. He was tall, handsome, athletic, intelligent, single, and very rich. His name was William Borden. From the Borden, I don't know, Carnation Company. It eventually became part of Carnation. I don't know that we see Borden on a lot of things today, but back when I was growing up, we certainly did. He was heir to one of America's great fortunes, but he turned his back on all of his privilege and all of, of the money and, and success that he could have had, and he went on his way to be a missionary in China. You talk about reckless abandon. That's a tough decision. It's a tough decision for an average middle-class American to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up what I have here because God is calling me to, and I'm going to go to North Africa, or I'm going to go to Spain, or I'm going to go to a deep-seated Muslim country and live for God. What about somebody who has all of this what about somebody who has success as the world says you have success, giving all of that up? His friends and, and his family thought it was a waste. Why, why would you give up all of that? But, but it's because they were looking at the wrong thing. He was giving up all of that because his creator, the one who knows all things, who is sovereign over all things, said, give this up for me. Now, I wish I could tell you that he went and he was like Paul throughout Asia as a missionary, but that's not what happened, and it gave support to those who said that he was out of his mind for doing what he did. Shortly after arriving in Cairo, he's not even in China yet, he became critically ill with cerebral meningitis, and in a matter of days, he was dead. Many students back in America asked, was it worth it? Later, his biographer wrote that Borden had said that he had written this in his Bible. This is what he said, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. There was no hesitation in his dedication to the Lord. And it is better to die doing something that God has called you to do than live apart and outside of what he wants for us. That's how David's heart operated, with reckless abandon. What about us? What about you? Are, are you holding something back? Is there, have you felt God calling you for months, years to do something, but you have avoided it, you have, you have tried to ignore it, 
because of fear or, or the world says that's, that's dumb, you shouldn't, you shouldn't think that. There are some who would say putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ just, just in that is, is just, why, why would you do that? No reserve. Let's fight every day for what is right. No retreat. Being students of the statutes of God. Seeing the truth in his word and standing on that truth. Not being nasty to everybody that we talk to because they believe differently than us, but standing on the truth and saying, this is what God says. This is how I'm going to, give, how I'm going to live my life. Wouldn't, wouldn't you simply even entertain a conversation about this? Hear my heart. Hear God's heart. Let's be warriors for the kingdom. And no regrets. God, God knows what is best. And he always will. And may we be faithful to God's call on our lives, whether that is a, as a plumber or an electrician, or a musician, or a poet, or a teacher. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're a a stay-at-home mom. Whatever God has given you to do, may we be faithful to that calling in our life. David loved God with reckless abandon. He was passionate about the way that he worshipped God. He was passionate about the way that he served God. I want to have a heart like that. Uh, Don't you? Don't you? Let's turn our hearts over to him and let him mold them into hearts that love him with reckless abandon. The second thing that David's heart, uh, that made David's heart great was his commitment to deep reflection. We, we, We see firsthand David's reflection. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. David was a man of deep reflection. He probably learned that habit early on in his life when he was sitting out on the countryside just watching sheep eat all day long. He had lots of time to think. Farmers, as you're sitting in your tractor all day, you don't even have to drive them anymore. (laughs) What do you do in that time? Take some time and reflect. Communicate in relationship with your creator. Everyone here drives to work. It could be five minutes. It could be 45 minutes. What do you do in that time? Take advantage of that time. Reflect. Reflect on your own life. Reflect. Ask God to to help you, not just for reflection's sake, but with with the interest in taking action when he speaks to you. That's what David does in the next verse, verse 24 of Psalm 139. He says, see if there is any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. God will lead you if you ask him to. David is saying, God, lead me. In prayer, David asked. He asked God to reveal to him his faults. And when God did, he he repented of those. Sometimes it took a prophet in his face because he was so intent on hiding it. But 
But when confronted, I mean, David, David committed some ugly, ugly sin. We're going to talk about those next week. But when he did, he practiced 1 John 1, 9, even though it hadn't been written yet. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. In, in, in his times of reflection, David was also transparent in his relationship with God. If you're angry with God, tell him. If you feel like God has left you high and dry, tell him. Be respectful, be reverent, but communicate with him. Talk to him. Pour your soul out to God, just as David often did. Is there, is there anything that happens in our life anyway that he doesn't know about? I don't know how we convince ourselves that we can hide stuff from God, but we do. It can be difficult, but, but it is possible for us to live each day in deep reflection. David constantly submitted his heart to the inspection of God. It was moments of deep reflection that produced the transformation in his heart. He made mistakes, but God protected Israel all the way through that. Reckless abandon, deep reflection made David's heart great. The third thing that made David's heart great was how he treated everyone around him. He was king of God's people, yet he treated people with amazing love. Psalm 78, 72 says this, And David shepherded them, the people, with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. David was a king with amazing love for his people. Now, if I shepherded people like I shepherded the sheep that I owned, I would not have a job today. As much as I liked sheep, I didn't love them. <laughs> Don't you just love that we're compared to sheep in the Bible? Ugh. I don't have time to go there today. Just know this, if you don't know sheep, be happy. You see, we, we can learn from David here. David even had a love and respect for his predecessor, King Saul. Who he not only and his family not only had to live under, but who also was trying to kill him. 2 Samuel 1, 24 and 25, David wrote this, O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. Who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold, how the mighty have fallen in battle. David still wept for Saul. It seems as though he wanted just as much for Saul's heart as he wanted for his own. I want to have a heart like that. I want to have a heart that is full of amazing love for everyone around me and in a world that is sick and struggling, it's easy to become cynical and justifiably mean to people. 
or justify our being mean to people. It's not justifiable. David wept for Saul. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. What amazing love God had for you and for me. May we love like Jesus. Let, let's all, let, wouldn't you with me ask God to shape your heart like he shaped David's? Wouldn't, wouldn't you, let, may we be willing to open up our hearts to the surgery that God wants to do on them. To cause our hearts to be full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and faithfulness. The fourth thing that made King David's heart great was how he seemed to see God every day in everyday things. David had constant observation. He was constantly observing God everywhere he looked. As a shepherd, he saw God everywhere. He he experienced the presence of God as he he lived out there and, and saw nature. He saw the hills. He saw the pastures and, and the rivers and the streams. He saw people. And as we cultivate our relationship with God, may it be true of us that we get to know His heart more and more as we observe His work in the people and the places around us that we experience every day. Because He's working. If we would look and not be so wrapped up in our schedule or, or our struggle in life, if we would look to see God in the world, we would see him. Now, I'm not saying that that tree is God and that the sun is God, but what I'm saying is we see his hand in all of those things. David was close to God because he knew he needed him and he looked for him in all situations. One way we observe this is how he reflected on on commonplace experiences that he had in life. We we said this together a a couple weeks ago. Psalm 23 is full of such insights of David early on in his life that reflected God working. And and as I close this morning, this is what I want to ask you to do. I want you to, I want you to close your eyes and I don't want you to go to sleep. It's a little warm. But I want you to close your eyes and I want you to try and picture what David is talking about as I read through Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. David knows that God is the provider of all things in his life just as a human shepherd watches and provides for the sheep under his care. 
That's what God does for us. May we, as we live each day, see that the Lord is our shepherd. May we not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. What does that look like? Picture green pastures, picture a quiet stream, every, an everyday experience that David is applying to his own life here. There is a psychology when it comes to colors. There are two colors whose effect on our bodies is calming and relaxing. Those colors are blue and green. Green is the easiest color on the eye and can actually improve vision. It is a calming, uh, refreshing color. And blue causes the body to produce calming chemicals. When you're on your way home today, I want you to look at the landscape and you tell me what two colors are predominant. Isn't God incredible? We think we're so good when we paint certain colors in our homes and our businesses, but we're only copying what God has already done. And when we are obedient and follow faithfully, we have a feeling of contentment, kind of like sheep lying near a deep blue lake in a field of tall green grass. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Like the woman caught in adultery, Jesus restored her soul. He knew her heart. He saved her from the judgment of those standing above her and over her, and he saved her spiritual life. He told her he did not condemn her, and she was to leave her life of sin. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Where are you this morning? Is there sin in your life? Confess it. Walk away from it. Ask your Savior to restore your soul. Is there anxiousness? Is there fear? Let him know. Take time to communicate to him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, David says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. David had some pretty dark times in his life. Next week, we look at some of the dirt and the cave. And the following week, Brandon Buller is going to be tackling the cave that David found himself in. He knew he didn't need to fear because God was right there with him at all times, correcting and protecting, forgiving and restoring. Even a man after God's own heart struggled in life. But when he did, he trusted God, and we must as well. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We have been given so much in this life. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever can only be done through our faith in Jesus Christ. Just as David's faith was in what God was going to do through Jesus Christ, ours is in what he did. God came as a man, Emmanuel, God with us. He lived the perfect life Jesus did. He was crucified. He surrendered himself to death, death on a cross, and he rose again on the third day. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ yet, do you hear him calling you today? Surrender today. Believe. Turn over the reins of your life to him. Let go of the steering wheel. Move into the passenger seat and let God be your chief pilot. You will never regret it. Let's all ask God to search each of our hearts and lead us in the way of everlasting. And let's ask God to reveal his heart to us every day. God will answer that prayer. He will mold us and shape us into the men and women of God who are after his own heart. No regrets No retreat, no reserve, no regrets, no reserve, no retreat. Lord Jesus, help us. We need you. Oh, Father, I want to have a heart like David. And may we all seek to surrender those things that we're holding on to in our life to you, for you to form, for you to clean out, for you to build up whatever it might be in our life. And as we live our lives with reckless abandonment for you, may others see the joy and the love, the peace even in the midst of hard times. And may they too be drawn to you through your Holy Spirit that they might also know the peace that comes in a relationship with the Creator and the Savior of all things. In Jesus' name, amen.